Um, go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and come before you today. Lord, lifting up our hearts in praise. I mean, every Sunday we leave here and we're limber. We're limbered up spiritually for what you want us to do in the week. And God, it seems like almost, almost as soon as we leave, Satan attacks. And, um, and, and we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Uh, but Lord, we just pray you'd help us take some of these tunes with us to limber ourselves back up daily as we get together with you and, and walk in your spirit and get in your word. And so, Father, be with us today as we some, see something about how to do that uh, in this next week. We ask it in your precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. And so we are, you know, have opportunities for you to kind of limber up between services because um, we decided, uh, I decided, well, I mean, I decided, but nobody's contradicted me uh, yet to my face, uh, but, I, but we decided to kind of put the kids back in the center as, so they get the best teaching of the Bible possible. So we put them back in the educational wing. That meant most of the adult classes had to move off Sunday service times. And, but that means you have an opportunity to get limbered up during the week with those classes that are having, um, having their service time on Wednesday night and so forth. And so uh, we encourage you to do that. Also, I had told you for the last couple of three weeks that we weren't just, this year, we're not just going to give you a Bible reading plan and encourage you to read the Bible. <clears throat> Almost every church will do that. And they'll encourage you to read the Bible. And so in the prayer diary that I put together for every week, we have... Um, there within it at the top, a Bible reading plan that takes you through the Bible pretty much chronologically in reading six days a week, uh, Sunday off, six days a week throughout the year, and gets you through the Bible in chronological order. And so we do encourage you to read the Bible, but I, this year I wanted to tell you how to read it better. Okay, we want to we teach you how to read your Bible better. So there was a bookmark in your handout. It may have already fallen out. But if you don't have it, you can get some extra ones at, uh, at the desk there in the lobby. And on the back, it'll, it, it gives you the tips on how to read your Bible better. And yes, it involves actually writing with a, with a pencil and a notebook. And what are those? Uh, but it, it, it's good for you. It, it will stimulate your mind uh, in order to get everything going and flowing as you read through the Bible. You will read it better if you will follow these tips and so on, and draw your attention uh, to that today. So it's our second Sunday in the new year, and um, now that we've finished the series on worship, which we were alternating with book study of Daniel, um, I'm returning to the topic of grace only in a different way, calling it the hard work of grace, because really... Uh, really, grace and holiness are tied together, and so this is in essence a holiness concept. And never, maybe you never noticed this before, but really, a holiness is tied to all of the hero stories that we tend to worship and get into. And so, I don't know how many new movies are out this month, and the the greatest box office hits will be the ones that have a happy ending, um, to some degree at least, and they, it's not just random, they involve the story of a hero or a shero, 
And almost all of those stories are biblical redemption stories. Because the best a lost man can do on a good day is just kind of copy God and, and try and go along. So, so you, you'll see a hero pulled out of a maelstrom and realign his life or her life with what is right and what is true. And this idea of redemption occurs because it's so integral to the biblical themes and Bible characters, and I can tell you're skeptical. So let me give you an experiential exegesis. Let me explain your experience regarding this idea of a hero's redemption. And and in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, they had three terms that they used for redemption, the greatest hero stories that we have. And one of them could be translated the comeback because where we begin on our journey is not always pretty, but the crucial thing in beginning this new year, and this is number one, is that if you're going to come back, you've got to start right where you are. I mean, you can't start any other place than where you is. So it is what it is, and you're at where you're at, and that is where you've got to start, and you have to start there today. And then another one of the Bible words refers to making an atonement. So this is number two. If you're going to make a comeback, you've got to offer an acceptable sacrifice. There's something sacrificial that the hero does. There's some sacrifice he makes or she makes in order to get them along and, and in the story. And then the final thing, final word that the Hebrews had for redemption had to do with someone like Samson who became the deliverer of others. And so that's number three. If you're going to come back, you got to become a hero that is willing to save others. And every superhero in the Marvel Universe Uh, follows exactly the same Hebrew word form, the same biblical pattern. And if it doesn't happen in one episode or one issue or one one of the uh, movies in the series, the arc of the story runs just like this. They start in an impossible mess. They pay what seems like an impossible price, and then they rescue others who are also endangered. So it's important to point out how in this scenario, heroes teach us, and this is our thesis for today's study, heroes teach us that the past is to be a place of reference, not a place of residence. If your present is so desperate that you cannot pull out of your circumstance long enough to get in your Bible and trust in God then you will not be able to employ the process which has enabled countless counted out boxers and faded out stars and broken down businesses and stalled believers to be able to come back. So you got to start where you are. You've got to begin believing what God says. Uh, And so that means no matter what happened, no matter what it was that happened to set you back, It is never too late to stage a comeback. This is the hard work of grace, which in essence defines for us what holiness is in a practical sense in living in this life. Because while God's grace is free, it ain't cheap. I mean, it costs a whole lot. 
And grace always requires your positive faith faith response to be effective. Therefore, and this is our first point for study, God does not give you the gift of faith if you do not intend to be faithful. And that explains a whole lot right there, doesn't it? I mean, you've, you've got to use God's power. You've got to employ God's grace toward a greater good in order to glorify him. And I give you this background today to our story in 2 Kings because this is what sets us firmly on the path to good stewardship. And the context of grace is always being gracious and the context of faith is always being faithful. So if you're here and you're not asleep, I know just what you're saying. Look, Alan, I don't think you even know the depth to which I have fallen. I mean, inflation is high and wages are low and Christmas gifts were expensive and I am stuck. I am stalled in my stewardship, especially stewardship of my credit. I mean, I don't even manage my money very well, but I'm managing my credit even worser. So I don't know if I can trust you when you tell me that I can take my impossible mess and I can actually redeem it, so much so that I become a positive example of faith to my neighbors, to my family, to my friends, to my children. But if it is true, then don't let me leave here today till you show me how God can transform my mistakes from yesteryear into miracles for this year. I'd be glad to help you out. Get, just give me a minute to unpack this passage. We'll clothe ourselves with the truth, get our healing. Head out of here ready to bring somebody with you for this short series on the hard work of grace, complementing the completion of our studies in Daniel. So today I want to take you to our text in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4, where we find a single mother in crisis. She is in crisis, but she is not without a word from God. She is grieved and bereaved because she just lost her husband. We're not given her name, but ancient Jewish history reports in the context of 2 Kings that she was likely the widow of Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was King Ahab's steward, And yet he feared the Lord. King Ahab was a reprobate king married to an idolatrous outsider woman named Jezebel. But his chief of staff is Obadiah, and he fears the Lord according to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 3. So his backstory is back in the story of 1 Kings chapter 18. He's chief of staff of the royal palace. He is is to Ahab like Daniel was to Nebuchadnezzar. Only Jewish King Ahab was a compromiser who had married Jezebel for political reasons. And now in 1 Kings 18, she is fresh off her encounter with Elisha's predecessor, Elijah. Where Elijah, at the summit of Mount Carmel, had uh, defeated all the priests of Baal that Jezebel had brought into Israel. And so now Jezebel convinces her henpecked husband Ahab to seek the Lord's prophets and to assassinate them. But Obadiah overhears that nefarious plot, so he takes it on himself to hide a hundred preachers of God in two groups of 50 in a cave, and he's going to feed them, he's going to water them, he's going to protect them from death. That's 1 Kings 18 verse 4. So in order for him to do the work of God, 
it cost him some money. You know how much money it would take to feed 100 preachers? I mean, that's a lot of fried chicken and, and cobbed corn and iced tea and, uh, you know, sweet potato pie. And so the work of God costs money. But here's God's man, Obadiah. He spends what he had and what he did not have to do the work of God. But then suddenly he's taken away before he can pay it all back. He dies, and now his children's mother is left with a debt she cannot pay. Now, can I just come sit in your seat this morning? Because she is bearing a burden in the present from a relationship which no longer benefits her. She's got a burden in the present from a relationship in the past that is no longer benefiting her. I mean, how real is that? Her creditors are threatening to take her kids away, Because according to their law, a creditor could take your child as payment on a debt and keep them in servitude until the year of Jubilee. So she's tempted to give in to panic, but she doesn't. She feels like resigning and quitting and giving up, but she doesn't. She holds on to her hope and she discovers for us the secret of staging the financial comeback that you need right now at the beginning of this year. Just four steps, four steps to turn your financial setback into a comeback. Anybody want to hear this to say, amen, Alan? And I'll even take silence as consent because in her story, we see the four steps that teach you how to take a monetary mess and redeem it into a ministry miracle. And I'm just saying, this is the starting point. This is not all. We offer Dave Ramsey every year, uh, sometimes twice a year, and we pay for it for you. I mean, that's how, that's how much we want to invest in you. So I ain't, I ain't uh, you know, I don't feel bad about spending it just like, this to you today, because we do pay for you. If you want to go through Dave Ramsey on a complete plan, a comprehensive plan, a long-term plan, but this is where you must start. So now, now, first step, this is number one, you must acknowledge your situation. Let the whole church say, admit it. Verse one, now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the son of the prophets unto Elisha, So Elijah's successor, Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So she acknowledges the mess that she is in. She is a widow, and she needs her sons to take care of her, or else she's going to die. They didn't have a social safety net in their economy. And so she admits to the man of God. But, you know, I find that too many people today are living in the first 51st state of the union, the state of denial. I mean, I'm just saying they're like Cleopatra. They are queen of denial. And denial is not a river in Egypt. Denial is a dam of deception that keeps God's river of blessing from flowing to you. I mean, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're in here and you're not saved, until you are, admit that you're a sinner, until you admit your sins before God, until you admit what you've done, until you admit how it's hurt, I mean, set everybody else aside, until you admit what you did, you're not going to see your need of salvation. You're going to think you're as good as many and better than some, and you know, God ought to be privileged to let you into his heaven. That is denial. 
So let me break it down for you and show you because denial means don't even know I am lying to myself. <laughs> so our second point for study, to start the road to financial redemption, it means you've got to overcome the demons of denial so that you can deal with life, your life, in terms of God's providence. Okay, wait, everybody wants to talk to you about the economy. Nobody wants to admit that even if their predictions come true, you can't change it. So in verse one, this woman cries. In verse one, this woman acknowledges where she is. In verse one, she doesn't know yet that she has any other options. But if you don't know how to make a budget and stick to it, say so. If you don't know how to manage your credit, say so. If you don't know how to trust God and tithe, say so. Get real with yourself and get real with God because acknowledgement is either going to draw you closer to God and you do what he says or it's going to drive you further away. Hello, somebody. It's all your choice. You've got to respond to God's wisdom so that you can get closer. Reject God's will and reject God's ways and then you move further away from blessing. You know, or let me, let me frame it this way. It may very well be that the devil will have you on his Christmas lift and give you all sorts of temporal material blessing, but you will not have eternal blessing with God. You won't have the type of blessing in your life, your family, your kids' lives that God wants to give you. So the annals of failure are filled with examples of the eternally deluded, like the spendthrift who's absolutely broke, and then yet they return to Amazon shopping like a Muslim goes to Mecca. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying, when you acknowledge where you are and you begin to see your situation, when you see your situation biblically, God empowers you through your faith responses so that he can begin to act. Why? Because direction is more important than position. Now, destination is more important than all of it. But at this point, so let me repeat that. If you cannot change your position, well, you can at least change your direction. Okay. And eventually that's going to change something. I mean, at least give God a fighting chance for you. So one of the keys to redemption is to stop resisting the possibility for change. And Mark Twain quipped, the only person who likes change is a wet baby. Well, maybe, but the only way you can get something different is by becoming someone different so that you can do something different. Hello, somebody. That is the life of faith. God is calling you to live this year. So if you are going to move from where you are at to where you need to be, you've got to admit that you can change with God's grace. So after you admit, then number two, ask Ask for assistance. Let the whole church say ask. I mean, it's hard to ask for anything, but she believed in God, so she sought the man of God in order to get the word of God. They didn't have Bibles back then. She couldn't keep a copy of the scriptures in her house like you can, so she had to go to the man of God directly, and she wanted the word of God that she could follow it. Now notice, she does not seek a sugar daddy. I'm just saying. That was not her mode of operation. She tracked down the prophet. She said, my husband, thy servant, is dead. 
I mean, look at it here in verse 1. I'm here about thy servant. That was his occupation. He was my husband. That was his devotion. He's dead and I'm in debt. That's my situation. He feared the Lord. That was his dedication. So now I need God's intervention. Now, as good Romans and cowboys, we are raised to be independent to keep a stiff upper lip, to grin and bear it, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and never admit that we got the boots and the straps from any place else and stand on our own two feet. But in the case of finances and the economy, you need some supernatural scriptural support. I mean, that is just what God tells you from the very beginning. How do you, how do you get holy again? How do you begin start setting yourself apart for God. Uh, okay, it, you know what? It's only money. Why don't you start there? After all, it's only money. And let me, let me just further that and say that everybody needs a, a set of go-to people. So you need a go-to set of people who get you going to God. That's your go-to people. But there is a flip to that script because there are also some go-from people in your life. Okay, there are people who should not be on your front row and maybe not even in your balcony. And you know who they are. And if they're sitting next to you, just keep looking straight up here at me. Just keep, keep looking straight ahead. They will never know you're thinking about them. Associate with people who have the four C's. People who have Christ-likeness, compassion, character, and give you confidence in the word of God. Those four things. They're Christ-like. They're compassionate. They have character. And they give you confidence in God's word. People who draw you to the Bible, they edify you and they build your faith. So first, acknowledge your mess. Second, step out and ask for help. Third, this number three, admit that you are able to act Okay, look at it in verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? I can't do for you. You got to do for you. So tell me, what hast thou in the house? So Elisha's response acknowledges her pain, but really it's tailored to open her eyes, to end her pity party, and to act with the only thing of value that she has. And if you were honest, you would admit too many of us stall our own progress because we are not yet ready to stop being dysfunctional. Oh, I said it, I meant it, and I'm here to represent it. I mean, we're just not ready to stop being dysfunctional. We hang on. We're comfortable with functioning in the dysfunction. And that is why I gave up trying to save people a long time ago. Jesus saves I am just the teaching tool of testimony for him. And so I don't have to fix you up. I just got to tell you what's right. I have to point you to the promises. I can't change your position, but I can show you the direction because I cannot apply them for you. But I can show you how to apply them. That's discipleship. So, to, so Elisha asks her, what has God given you? Wait, in every temptation, in every trial, there is a way of escape. What, what is in your house? Her feeble self-analysis is this. I don't have nothing. 
And at some point in all of our lives, we've answered the divine inquiry the exact same way. I have nothing with which to address my financial challenge. I have nothing to give to help spread the gospel. I have nothing to help expand God's kingdom. I have nothing to invest in my own spiritual education. I have nothing to sacrifice to improve my Bible understanding. I have nothing to surrender to men broken relationships. I have nothing I can do to prevent the delinquency of my children. Prophet, preacher, pastor, I have nothing in my house. I am all out of ideas, energy, suggestions, solutions. I'm all out of patience, prayers, faith, hope, peace, and joy. And Billy Preston always said, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You'll have to Google it. (laughs) So she is in utter hopelessness. She is at perennially zero. She's in complete futility. But something down inside pushes her to self-honesty. So she says in verse 2, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house comma, wait, save a pot of oil. And that's right, Kristen. I mean, she's speaking for you if you are a believer. Why? Because in the Bible, oil is a Bible type. It is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Oil in a vessel is the Holy Ghost inside of you, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Now, the Spirit always answers to the Word because those two go together. And when the Spirit and Scripture come together, it generates new life. It gives you motivation. It changes on the inside. So you are never so destitute that you are without the presence of the Spirit, a copy of God's words, and your relationship with the Savior. And the oil poured out and sold is the dependable blessings of God so that the needs in your life can be met. Now, not the wants that you have, but the things you really need to do what God wants you to do. So save, look at it in this verse. Look at that word save. It's a powerful word in this text because when she says, thine handmaid hath not anything save, it means accept. And to say accept for represents a change in her perspective. And if you can change your outlook, then you can change your outcome. Well, I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about making your outlook match God's word, the waking reality and truth of the word of God. Well, then you can change the outcome. And when she does that, it is a paradigm shift. It is a twist in an otherwise diabolical plot. And that word save or accept is the bridge built across the river despair. This is just simple English Bible exegesis. But the word save, like the conjunction but, signifies an adversative in English grammar. It is a contravention. Or some, some people back from the civil rights days would uh, remember uh, George Wallace and others using this word. It is a nullification of the prior operating principle. 
it means what you find on one side of that word save is going to be diametrically opposed to what's on the other side of that word save. And on the one side is nothing, but on the other side is something. And I wish I could get just 23 in here to start praising God for all the saves in your life. I mean, let us and sing in one of the songs today. It talks about the power of praise. All right, that right there would drag you out of your pity party because you cannot get to exceptional without passing by the word accept. Save for accept. Let the whole church say save. save. No hope, save. save. The Lord is my shepherd and anoints my head with oil. No place to go, save. The Lord leads me into green pastures. No money in my pocket or purse. Save. God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. By Christ Jesus, no strength left. Save. They that wait on the Lord shall renew theirs. I mean, somebody in here ought to shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your exceptions turn in an exit into an entrance to what God has for you. And then the end of the road becomes a bend in the road. So this struggling single sister had forgot her pot of oil. I mean, it's so easy, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy to forget the Holy Spirit because being invisible, he's just so easy to forget. And that's why you need to be full of the Holy Ghost. So check this. The Holy Spirit works best in an empty vessel. John chapter 3, verse 30. Because your pot is small enough as it is, but if you get filled with the Spirit, you got enough for your entire family. I mean, that's the thing about God getting involved and not boxing God out and the Holy Spirit being matched to the Scriptures. I mean, it is, Jesus said, a fountain of water that comes out. So if you want the Holy Spirit's power, you got to acknowledge His presence, and then you've got to match meet the Spirit to the Scriptures. Do you do that? when she acknowledged the treasure that God had put in her earthen vessel, and she matched that to the treasure of God's words through Elisha, then it was a true turning point in her predicament. Because at the end of her self-effort, she's ready now to rely on God. Acknowledge your situation, ask for help, admit that you can act, and then finally, in the final analysis, is number four, you will only achieve whatever you will apply. Verse 3, then he said, go. See, this is the hard work of grace. I mean, grace doesn't mean you just sit back and God does it all. No, there's God's part and there's your part. And there's a balance there. He says, go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. So it's, I mean, it's hard, but it's not too hard. It's easy to carry empty vessels and borrow not a few. When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. And thou shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. Setting aside is sanctification. That's what the word holiness means. You're going to set these aside. That is what saints do with their life. You set yourself aside for God to make you the one he's going to work through at your work. 
and God's going to make you the one he's going to work through at your school. And God's going to make you the one that he's going to work through in your family. And he's going to sanctify your family because there is someone in that family believing God's word. And they're matching the spirit of God to the word of God so that the word of God can do the work. And a work will be done when you do that. So God's word requires your application. So Elisha gives her an active axiom for actual achievement. He says, look, ask your friends for some mason jars and start pouring out what God has filled in your jar. Verse five, so she went from him and shut the door upon her her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. Now watch, she even got, or maybe she especially got, her sons, her kids, her children involved with her. And this is why I got so frustrated after 10 years and coming out of COVID, um, you know, maybe I've got COVID insanity or whatever goes along with that. I just got fed up and said, okay, here's a one sheet solution to our facilities problems. And it will be the solution because we're gonna put the next generation at the center. We'll put the next generation at the center. We'll first make room for harvest kids. We'll take care of them, make sure they get what they should get on Sunday. And we will accommodate the growth that we have in our youth that will get our, our high school youth and middle school youth back with us on Sunday. We'll get uh, room for our college youth. That, that group is growing. And, you know, I'll give you more details at our, at our 30th anniversary praise service. But I just signed a contract with an architect to propose to us a 4,000 square foot educational space. And we're not, I mean, we're not, uh, we're not going to do anything without telling you. Or at least I'll do it as I, I'll, you know, I'll tell you as I do it. Or maybe I'm telling you right now while we're doing it. But <laughs> 4,000 feet square foot square feet, educational space for adults, which will also expand our lobby, which will also add a, another entrance here into the Sanctanasium from outside. And we expect that to cost about a million dollars. Now, in the first service when I said that, there were several people who gasped. But I think maybe more of you in here understand that when I came here 10 years ago, we we had two mortgages and two and a half million dollars debt. We now have no mortgage. We, you attend a church that has no mortgage so that we can get more ministry done. So we had two, when I first got here, two and a half million dollars debt. And I'm just saying this is the next step. And if you'll think through this with me, I believe, so this is my faith response. Here's what I believe. I believe that we have 300 people with enough desire to invest in kids, with enough desire to invest in, a, in adult ministries, with enough desire to invest in God that they would on average give $100 a month more than their regular giving and do that just for three years and we would become our own bank and we would have it all paid for. That's what I believe. So then we still have no mortgage and, and we've done exactly what we should do. Now, I am no fundraiser this will not be the type of church, like many are, where you go from one building campaign to another. But here's all I know. Our only long-term hope to change this world is to change the life of, lives of our children. I think so. If I'm wrong, show me. The only long-term hope for changing our world 
is changing the lives of our kids. And I do not want to ask you for more money than what growth we have, because my philosophy is not to build in order to generate people. I want to build in response to what God is doing. But we've been a church twice the size of our facilities for as long as I've been here. So whatever God is doing in your life, bring your children along. Your kids need to see a godly parent responding from a position of faith even more than they need to see you get through the problem. Whatever the problem is, the problem's not going to hurt them. As long as they see you giving a godly example where they can learn faith from your faithfulness. So bring them here and teach them that God is their father and Jesus is their savior and the Holy Spirit is their comforter. Teach them there's a heaven to gain and a hell to be shunned. Teach them that even though you're saved, there is still the, you will still face the judgment seat of Christ. But faith is your power, joy is your strength, and love is your stronghold. What a tremendous typology. I mean, what a picture in this paragraph. Because I can see this struggling sister and her two sons. And they're running from house to house and they're going from neighbor to neighbor and they're knocking on the door and they say, hey, you got an empty pot by any chance? And, and uh, you know, I can see their neighbors going in the back and, uh, okay, what do you want this for? Well, I, you know, we're just going to borrow it. Uh, you know, and the same, here's the, here's the deal. The same people who had empty vessels also needed fresh oil. I mean, the same ones who had, who had empty pots also needed oil. Is that how you look at your neighbor? Is that how you look at your coworker? Is that how you look at other students? Empty pots, every one of them. I didn't say potheads. Empty pots. <laughs> Empty vessels with no treasure inside. They need the same Holy Spirit you have. And the Spirit that you have never wants to be limited by you or to just you. John 4, verse 14. John 7, verses 38 and 39. You know, I see some of the other women looking out the window and saying, girl, I think you finally lost it. I mean, you're borrowing empty jars. What's up with that? I mean, I knew you couldn't take it. I knew this was going to break you. Somebody calls social services. She's got her kids wrapped up in that mess. But she has faith in the words of God through Elisha, and she acts on those words and acting and applying that axiom is what allows her to achieve and accomplish a financial comeback. Because look at what verse 6 says. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, she said unto her son, bring yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there's not a vessel more. And then that's when the oil stayed. That's when it stopped. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands, of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are full, his riches untold. My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered the earth as the poorest of them. But now he is pleading our pardon on high that we may be his when he comes by and by. I once was an outcast, a stranger on earth. 
a sinner by choice, an alien by birth, but I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown. A tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still may I sing, all glory to God. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I'm a child of the king. Verse seven. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and give thou and thy children of the... uh, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Now this is, I mean, again, this is just part of the beauty of the King James Bible, the absolute accuracy. It does not say live off the rest, because if you live off the rest, then you have nothing left to live on when it's gone. Basically, it's saying, look, invest it and live off of it. You'll be able to live of the rest. You have enough for God to pay off your debt and live after the debt is paid for you, why? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, there on your handout. 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 8 first. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. I mean, that's a great and tremendous promise. But I don't want to mislead you. That promise will not work without you fulfilling the premise And I would be manipulative, I would be deceiving you if I did not point that out to you. Because there is no abundance of blessing, verse 8, until she pours out her oil, so also, 2 Corinthians 9, but start in verse 6. This is the premise to the promise of verse 8. But I say this, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, not abundantly, not in sufficiency, And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I mean, wow, Paul says in this day, the same thing that is said in the Old Testament in its day, and that's why you ought to purpose in your heart to at least tithe. And then anything above that is your thank offering to God. The most significant thing that I can do is to prepare you for glorifying God. So let's say that you believe, I'm not saying you should believe, but maybe you should, that every dire prediction about our our economy and therefore your finances is absolutely going to come true this year. In our changing economy and your current financial distress, The most significant thing I can do is prepare you to give by giving you an opportunity to give to God, which infuses the spirit of God and the word of God into your life and integrates you into God's work through this church. Because this church, by the word of God's grace, is the only hope for your kids in a society and in a school system which has discarded Christian values and discarded a biblical worldview. You know that this happened. Any, any of you who are over 30 years of age, you absolutely recognize that social media, our society, and our school system 
has totally boxed God out now. I mean, they, there's no biblical worldview. There's no Judeo-Christian ethic. That means we are the only hope. And what we do with the next generation, long-term, that is the only hope for this country. So we got to take care of the kids so that we adults can build and keep on moving. She shut the door and she dared to pour. And all you have to do is utilize the power of the Holy Spirit, match meet it up to the scriptures, the word of God, and then apply God's principles for yourself and your life. And then when you get that problem fixed, take on the second one. And let the Holy Spirit help you apply scripture in that area also. And you get discipled and then, and then disciple somebody else. Reach out with the word of God through your witness to people who are empty vessels. Empty vessels and so alone. My time is up. Thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The more you pour out, that's the premise, then the more God pours back in, that's the promise. Because if you will not sow sparingly, but if you'll sow liberally, if you'll sow abundantly, (coughs) then you are promised sufficiency. You're promised abundance. And that may not mean everything that's in your Amazon wish list, but that will will mean everything you need to do exactly what God wants you to be doing. I guess I'd say this. If you'd really find out what God wants you to do, you'd be rich. Now, I don't know who who that's for exactly, you know, what that says to you. But I, I think so. I think if you were doing exactly what God's wanting you to do, I don't think... Money, I mean, it's only money. That'd never be a problem. Let the Holy Spirit help you apply Scripture in all the areas you need to apply. Reach out with the Word of God through your witness to the people who are so empty today. They are so empty. We got a good thing going on here, so let's ride it as long as we can. Since you get answers at the house of God, you need to to help us make our facilities facilitate your own ministry. Because then we can open up an oil franchise and start stations across the country. So if you're here and you're not yet saved, Jesus has a promise and a premise for you right now. The promise is everlasting life. The promise is life after death. I mean, more than that, the promise is a purpose for eternity for your soul. And the premise is just this, simply believe Jesus for what he promises. John chapter 3, verse 36, and chapter 6, verse 47. Believe in his death and his burial and his resurrection for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5, Romans 10, 9. Believe... And call upon the name of the Lord to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, Romans 10, 13, Colossians 2, 6. Because if you trust Jesus today for what he promises, you will be given everlasting life by being born again. God will put your soul in Christ and he'll put the Holy Spirit in you. 
And you'll be born again today. You know what your regrets are. And the older you get, the more they keep you up at night. I mean, the older you get, the, you know, the more times you drive down the street and it just hits you. The mistake that you made, the, what you did, what you said, things you can't ever get back, things you can't ever correct, people who are gone, things that are done. You have all of these regrets based on all of your sin. Your conscience smites you because God's going to be honest with you when nobody else is. Do you not want all those sins forgiven? God will wipe your slate clean with the blood of his son, Jesus. Will you just pray with me right now and just say, God, I believe on Jesus today for everlasting life. I believe, so I receive. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. And God, I may even even been here, been coming here for a while. I may have come here like a lot. I may have been, it seemed like been here forever, but I don't know. I just don't know yet. Have I really given my life to him? Have I really gotten saved? Do I really have that experience of the Holy Spirit in me and walking with me and enabling the power of the word of God through me? I want that. If I've never done it before, God, make me born again right now in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with me if you would. If you prayed that today, then I'd like you to come forward either right now or while the praise team sings or when they get to the end of the song or whatever, come forward. Meet one of our altar counselors here at the front. I want to give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers so you know exactly what to do next. Now that you're plugged into God, now that you're born again, you got new life. You were born today. Happy birthday. And I want to show you what to do with that and, and do that from the Bible. So uh, come up here and get one of those books from us. If you uh, get fed here and attend here, you ought to be a member here. If you want to become a member, let us know. <clears throat> They've not yet postponed the Super Bowl as far as I know. So Super Sunday will be our Super Sunday also, Super Bowl Sunday, because we're going to have baptisms that day. If you've never been baptized, you want to get baptized, you want to say to this church, look, okay, now now I know I'm all in. I know I did it today. I know when I prayed today, I know that things are right between me and God. I want to be all in. So I know I need to get baptized. Okay, that'll, that will be Super Bowl Sunday. It'll be our Super Sunday. And we want the opportunity to do that with you. Next Sunday, we'll be back in the book of Daniel, chapter at a time. Be here, bring a friend, so we can give you a roadmap to the coming kingdom. If you need to come up here just because you want prayer, you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, come and do that also.